Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete Wright. Oh, Nikki, you're looking good today. Is your kung fu strong? You feeling good? Yeah, of course. Are you are you ready for today's show? I am. I'm excited. Are looking you? Do you have it. any any specific training in performance? yourself have you ever taken any acting or improv classes no no comedy i've been to an improv show and i used to watch the tv show with drew carey a lot yep yep no that was but that's about the extent of it yeah okay well this will be a great show we've got uh, a couple of my favorite people uh on the show and they're going to teach us about uh, uh all kinds of things i think uh i'm who knows it could come off the rails fast before we get dig into all of this, uh, please head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list, and we will send you an email with the latest episode each week. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest at Take Control ADHD. But to really connect with us, join us in the ADHD Discord community. It is super easy to jump in the general community chat channel. Just visit TakeControlADHD.com slash Discord, and you will be whisked over to the general invitation page and log in. If you're looking for a little more, if you're not satisfied with just a sniff, then you should become a patron. Patreon is listener-supported podcasting. And if this show has ever touched you or helped you understand your relationship with ADHD in a new way, then you can touch us back through Patreon. It's a way to, just for a couple bucks a month, you can help guarantee that the show continues to grow and thrive and that we invest new features. Members get access to the show live stream as we record. They get early access to the show in their very own Patreon uh, member podcast feed. There's just a lot of good stuff that happens when you're a part of Patreon. Patreon, And you help us do a lot of good stuff too. So patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Nikki, we have an announcement. Book club. Yes, we have a book club. Uh, If you're listening to this episode, the day it comes out, then we have just opened enrollment for our next ADHD book club group. And I am so excited to jump into this next ADHD book club because we are going to be discussing one of my favorite books about ADHD. And I know it's a favorite for a lot of our listeners. We will be going through the book Focused Forward by the lovely James Ochoa. So even if you've read this book before, I highly encourage that you sign up for this group. Experiencing the book within a group always brings up new things that you may not have thought about when you read it by yourself. So Um, I've already talked to James and he is on board with uh, showing up to one of our meetings and joining our discussion. So I'm very excited about that. But we're not going to tell you which one. We we don't even know which one. Yeah. 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 It's like a James game. It's like a James Ochoa shell game. It's a secret. Yes. But he is going to be there. Uh, So don't miss out on this opportunity. You can learn more and sign up on our website. Just go to service pages or going to the service page on TakeControlADHD.com and click on the ADHD book club. The deadline to enroll is May 31st, 2023. You know what? I'm going to fix that. You just read it, but I'm already going to fix it. Go to the services page. Just go to TakeControlADHD.com slash book club. How about that? Perfect. Like magic, it will work. That's great. Okay. Let's let's talk about uh, Yes and. I am giddy 
giddy, I tell you, to introduce you to our guests on the show today. Mandy Kaplan is an actress, VO artist, singer, writer, ninja, and podcast host living in L.A. Her voice can be heard on hundreds of commercials, video games, and so many audiobooks. On screen, she can be seen starring in the feature film 30 Nights of Sex to Save Your Marriage, available on Tubi TV for free right now, a film she also co-wrote and produced. Her cabaret miscast, Right Singer, Wrong Song, has been running in L.A. for more than 12 years years. Now, Mandy Fabian was the director and creator of Lifetime's first digital series, The Young Hillary Diaries. She co-created and wrote the the Amazon series Dropping the Soap, which won Jane Lynch an Emmy. She's a Sony television directing program fellow, was named Best New Filmmaker of the Year by New Filmmakers LA, and her latest screenplay, Late Bloomer, was selected for the Meryl Streep Oprah Winfrey Writers Lab. Most recently, she completed her feature directorial debut, Just Plus None, an awkward comedy that will be released in the fall of 2023 together. And most importantly, they co-host The Mand Cave, a podcast about two best friends who have nothing in common except their names on True Story FM. And they are some of my favorite people ever. Mandy's welcome to the ADHD podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for having us. (laughs) Ironically, um, You Can Touch Us Back was in my the first two lines of my wedding vows. So... (laughs) You've been holding on to You Can Touch Us Back from, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I clocked that. that That's another comedy classic that we'll get to. I did did also get in the comments, did Pete just say, if you're not okay with just a sniff as his segue to being a Patreon subscriber? I don't know. Uh, Just add it to the list. You know what? Another notch on the bedpost. Hey, you guys, this is so uh, this is so great that you are here because I think you are uh, two of the funniest people that I know. I think just generally funny people. And I, I, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about your uh, sort of uh, experience with comedy in life and and uh, how you sort of relate to the world through a comic lens and how that helps you. And and uh, but I feel like we have to start with something that I've never asked because it was not the intention of this show. What is your relationship, if any, to ADHD? I'm pretty sure I have it, but I haven't been able to get through a whole article on it. Um, (laughs) I have had relatives send me things of like, you know, these might be symptoms of ADHD. And I'm like, blah, blah, I don't know what you're, I don't know. Um, I haven't, I I have many friends that have been diagnosed, but I honestly, I'm like, I feel like I... You know, I, I I definitely feel like I have some symptoms of it for sure. A, fr- a friend oh. of ADHD, Kaplan. What do you got? What Absolutely, she's an ally. I a- um, <laughs> I um, I don't have it. I am laser focused, but mm-hmm. I what I taught kids theater for a long time, and I dealt with many of my students who clearly had it. Some who had the IEP in their parents mm-hmm. would talk to me, some who were not diagnosed, but it was very clear. My stepmom has it. My stepbrother has it. So it's around me. But, um, yeah. you know, not, I not direct people, not directly. And my experience of it is people thriving. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't yeah. see it as a hindrance to any of those people in my life. Yeah. Well, and are, are those people in performance as well? Do they, are they, are they in the business? My stepmother? No. No. And she's thriving. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay. Well, uh, so just to, as to set up, did I get anything wrong with your your intros? Do you want to correct anything? And uh, how did you come to terms with the fact that you wanted to be uh, comedy married? Uh, and how did your husbands take the news? 
<laughs> well, this preceded our husbands. <laughs> yeah. And this predates our husbands. So. Mm. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. They don't and get a say. They don't get a say. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually uh, holds true over the years. Okay. Well, then let's talk a little bit about uh, why we're here. So the whole conceit of this conversation was started with a conversation between uh, Nikki and me and, and Discord mom, uh, Melissa, on our team talking about uh, how important it is to to really have with ADHD to foster a good sense of humor. And are there tools that we can use to help us deal with the constraints of ADHD in our lives that come from, let's say, you know, improv, for example. And, and we started kind of riffing on this whole yes and, yes and. What is, how does yes and play into your relationship with the, the world around you? We know it's a kind of a tropey improv technique, uh, but... ADHD, if you're struggling with your relationship with ADHD, it's a no but relationship, right? It is it, it can put you in a pretty dark place. Uh, so to get us started, can you teach us what is yes and and why is it so important? In the improv world, if I jump on stage and I say, oh, no, our hot air balloon is falling out of the sky. What are we going to do? The minute somebody denies that premise and says, no, we're not in a hot air balloon. We're swimming in the ocean. The scene dies. It's over. End of scene, right? So yes, anding extends things, keeps them going, keeps them alive, um, Mm -hmm. and always adds, and it adds color. It adds uh, more detail. It's only positive when you say yes. And the hot air balloon is on fire, you know, like then you then you have something more to play with. It's a it's kind of a way to it's a tool for being comfortable with the unknown. Right. Like a, a lot of people try to sort of grab control of a situation. If someone has made an offer to you, there's an instinct to go, no, but I had an idea in my head that we were both lords on a yacht. You know, don't tell me I'm on a hot air balloon falling from the sky. It, but it's a it's a great way for you to just sort of sink into. It's a tool you can use to go, hey, I don't know what's going to come next. But the best thing about improv is I can reach for an item off the shelf, not knowing what it is, and pull it back and go, oh, it's a skull or, oh, it's a box of Legos. And, and it gives you this comfort with going, whatever I reach for, it's going to be there. It's that practice of saying, yes, and... If I stay with the flow of what is, I can reach into the unknown and pull back something every single time. But you have to overcome that instinct to go, no, I want to stick with something I already know and I've already planned. That's the way I would describe it. Well, I, I think you've, you've just described so much of the experience with ADHD, right? Is that, and, and it's something we've talked about a lot, right, Nikki, is the idea mm-hmm. of the, the discomfort with changing contexts mm-hmm. and, and being able to deal with surprise. And, and as you say, uh, Fabian, like the, dealing with the, the stuff that, that we don't have control over, that, that, that is uncertain. Um, and and I'm, I wonder how, like we're talking about it as a, as a strategy, a tool that you're using in writing and performing, but how, you know, how does that mindset work in day-to-day life? Do you find that it's a natural sort of mindset that you guys have cultivated or, or you know, is it something you have to work at or do you forget just because we're all human? I mean, I think artist brain is very similar. <laughs> uh, this constant sort of like wanting to have control, but not really having it or 
trying to feel like you have control by, uh, by practicing your craft, right? Like, uh, so I, I think that, I think, I think they're, they're kind of very similar and <clears throat> you just sort of, you have to use it on a daily basis, but certainly it's a practice, right? You don't wake up going, I'm totally fine with not knowing what happens today or, you know, taking whatever comes today. I don't know that anybody except very enlightened people sort of can walk through the day going, I have no fear about anything that might happen. <laughs> so I think um, I, I think it is a practice and I think it's something that particularly with with what we do as creatives and, you know, because every day is like we're writing a new script or we're working on a new project. We're putting a new project out there. We have no idea what the response is going to be in improv shows. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how the audience is going, whether they're going to laugh at a joke. Right. Particularly in comedy. There is a rigorous kind of challenge to overcome any shame or resistance that might come up from that situation and practice a, a, a willingness to take the next step right? You have to sort of be excited for an adventure because there is an adventure to it that can override any fear of what's next. There's another side to what's next, which is it could be really exciting. Part of the the thing that I think is uh, a huge challenge is, you know, it, there there's the first half, which is changing context quickly. And, and there's the second half, which is being able to move on from that context. And you just said, right, you just said, like, part of the process is being able to, like, hear a thing, act on a thing, and then put that behind you. I think when you're living with ADHD, so much of the shame and regret and and the, the feeling of rejection is in the camper van that is, like, trailing us all the time. And so I'm curious, and I, I guess I'll, I'll turn to you, Kaplan, because I see you as somebody who is just naturally really good at, at this, uh, of like, how do you, how do you put getting burned behind you? Uh, is it, is there some sort of an idol that you stick needles into, or is there something <laughs> that you light on fire and then you're able well, to cleanse yourself from it? Well, I've never made a mistake or <laughs> had anything go wrong in my life. So that's helpful. Yeah, um, it works. It works well. Yeah. I think the the good stuff comes from mistakes and failures. And I think that that's not true only as a performer. That's true in our lives. When you mess up your recipe and then you realize, oh, I should add some more sugar. And then it turns into something you never thought. And it it something new is born. Plan B can often be wildly better than what you planned and hoped for. So I try to in performing and in writing in particular, you flesh out a whole thing and then you look at it and you say, oh, this is garbage. I need to rip this up and start over. But it's going to get you somewhere. It, there's a purpose behind every mistake or failure or letdown. And I try to, my camper van is lessons learned, you know, growth from the mistakes. I try not to call them mistakes, but that time I threw away that whole script and started over. But God, that that second draft really had something that never would have been. Does that make sense? So rather than dwell in that did not go the way I wanted, that joke bombed. That my voice yeah. cracked on that song. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I lived. I always say to the kid performers yeah. I work with all the time, I'm like, did you live? 
are you going to live if you're if you forget your lines if you if the scene doesn't go your way are you going to live yes miss mandy has any so, of them any one of them ever said no and then throw themselves <laughs> on the ground like that would be that would be awesome alpha I've move i've had no suicides in my <laughs> teaching children's theater but that's how i view it yeah okay Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, it, you know, so much of, of this that I'm as I'm reflecting on what you're saying and how nice it is to to hear that and, and to talk about like celebrating the drafting of trash in order to get to the gold. Uh, and I had a I had a, a writing professor in my undergrad who said writing only starts in the second draft. Right. Get right. Get, get the garbage out and then you start writing. But I think one of the things, Nikki, I want you to reflect on this for me, because I think at least my lived experience of it is that. I I can only like there are certain things I can only do once because I I fear that I'll never be able to to muster the attention to sit and and really craft it a second time. And mm-hmm. if I live with that pervasive fear that I'm going to get stuck if I if I try to go back I'll I'll never I'll never do it again. Mm-hmm. It just becomes a another thing that I've forgotten. Well, I think it goes back to it's a skill that you're practicing because for so many ADHD years it stays at the no, but, mm-hmm. you know, or it, it stays in past in the past, they're, they're reliving whatever situation it is that they're um, thinking about. And what I like about the yes, and is that it's giving them the opportunity to continue going forward, maybe in a different way, right? So maybe that didn't work out in the past, but it doesn't mean that it can't work out a different way going forward. So it mm-hmm. keeps, it keeps you forward. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't keep, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to stay in the, in the background of it, but what you're talking about too, I think is trust, trusting that you can do it and that it doesn't have, trusting the fact that you can rewrite it and it may not be very good, but then you keep rewriting it and now it's better and better and better because I can tell you how many times, especially in the olden days when you didn't like save your work every like 10 minutes and then something would happen and you would lose your essay God, or whatever. I hate the olden days. <laughs> yeah, dating me, but, um, but you know, it's that feeling of, oh gosh, I have to do it again. But you do, yeah, you do it yeah. again. And, and uh, like Mandy Kay was saying, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it can be better and better. Yeah. Well, it, there's there's a constituent element to this whole conversation that we haven't talked about yet, and and that is the other side of yes and, uh, and it's something that I think ADHD makes very very difficult. Um, that is the listening. And uh, and I'll tell you just as as an aside, I uh, was listening to Smartless, a, a favorite podcast on my playlist, and I was listening to an old episode, one with Conan O'Brien, uh, on the show, and I. I uh, it's a, just such an incredible an example of four extraordinary improvisers uh, and some of the fastest conversational energy that I've heard. And I keep that episode marked as a favorite because it's so good. And as much as ADHD is is stereotyped as as hyperactive, right, particularly in media, um, it, it can actually cause some real conversational struggles because we're, we can get so inside our heads and it can be very difficult to listen over the voices that are in our own heads, over the things that we wish we had said 25 seconds ago, five minutes ago, whatever. We're not listening to what's going on right here. So in terms of conversational skill building, how do you approach listening? How do you maintain attention in a scene in a way that might help folks at parties? When you meditate that people say, 
If your mind wanders, that's okay. Just bring it back, right? Or when you're doing yoga, if your mind wanders, just bring it back. We have all been at a party and tuned out and thought, oh crap, what are they talking about? I missed it. But it's it's okay. Self-forgiveness, just bring your mind back. Try to pick it up from context or say, I'm so sorry my mind wandered. What did I miss? It, you know, it's it's the self-punishment that when you have failed on stage a million times, you you learn to let go of. When your jokes have bombed, what, you know, I don't do stand-up, but I people say you learn more from bombing. So you just forgive yourself. You let your mind wander and you bring it back without the layer of what's wrong with me? Why did I tune out? Why can't I focus? That's a really good way of putting it because I, I will talk to people about focus in general. Like if they're working on something and they notice their mind wanders, exactly what you said, you go back to, okay, what am I supposed to focus on right now? And with some clients, I'll say, put a little sticky note on your computer that says, what am I supposed to be working on right now? So that every once in a while, when you look at it, you can see, okay, I need to go back. So yeah, I, I love that. It makes total sense. If you're in a conversation, you do the same thing. We should right. make branded sticky notes that just say, come back. Come back. <laughs> right. Come back. That's and right. I'm an analogizer. So when you cheat on your diet, when you have a bad day, you don't quit the diet. You don't punish yourself. You just right. say, tomorrow I'm back on my diet. Oh, you, you don't? Know? Wait, what's this? No. <laughs> I was going to say, I okay. have, like, that's why it's that not working. So. Because <sighs> that's right. not how it works for me. When I quit my, when I have a bad day, I'm like, well, there's always tomorrow. I guess I'll continue on my bad day binge, right? <laughs> and then, oh, thank God, there's always next Monday. I guess the rest of the week right. is shot. So more ding dongs. <laughs> I think there's like, I think there's real value in getting comfortable with being uncomfortable too, right? If you have a mm. chronic habit of this, if this is something, the way that your brain works, part of the struggle is even resisting that this is how my brain works, you know? And I think mm. this knowledge that like, it's okay. It's okay if I spend five minutes w wishing I hadn't said that horrible. I am the queen of saying exactly the wrong thing. My husband has mastered the look of like, oh my God, did that just come out of your mouth? I don't know why. It just pops out. And the, and I somehow I'm like, but I framed it as like, maybe I'm God's gift to the universe. It's, it's a great way to live. But like maybe something I just said was supposed to be said and this person, it's going to actually help them in some way. And that brings me to Well, my it's point. always like, the right thing when it makes me laugh at you. There you go. See? <laughs> it might make somebody like, right. but also like, like, and I think there's a certain, like when I'm feeling anxious or inside my head or beating myself up about things like, and, and this is true for stage as well, in terms of the listening thing, mm -hmm. it, I always go, okay, make, make a room better by being in it. Like be interested in other people. That really helps the listening for me is if I can frame it with like kind of like a goal, get the focus off of me. But like, how do I make their day better? How do I make their party experience better? How do I how do I set them up for a great joke? I mean, I'm I'm setting Mandy up all the time. Great. You know, in our but, case, it's hooking up with my dad. That's what she does. But <laughs> he's so handsome. I can't can't keep my hands off the guy. I don't think we're allowed to say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so that, that's another thing is I, I it quells my nervousness immediately when I go, oh, no, it's not about me. It's about them. Yeah. What can I what can I what can I learn from them? How can I be interested in them? How can I have an adventure or some fun with that's about them? 
And I think that's, you know, that's the other thing of like seeking fun in situations. The reason comedy is so healing is because it's fun to laugh and see the bright side of things, right? So you're not only surrendering to being uncomfortable, you're, you're looking at like, there is fun to be had. And it's a real healing device that everybody can overcome. I feel like people can overcome themselves or try. It's a, if you know you're going towards something that feels fun, that's a, a one tool to get out of your head. We, it, when my kids were in middle school, nervous about social situations that we used to, you know, they used to play the game where you'd walk into a, a place and, and you'd kind of make up stories about other people that are in the room to, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I know she's 12, but she's also a billionaire industrial heiress to a fortune, <laughs> right? And all that, like you make up those stories. And part of the game was not just to make up the story in a way to, um, you know, have fun at the expense of someone else, but it's a way to to get to know someone by then using that as as a way to figure out if you're right, right? To break conversation <laughs> so in a way to say, to a 12-year-old and say, hey, you're are, not you, an are you an heiress? Are you? Right? <laughs> oh like those God. kinds of things. It's like so super familiar. fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see you on a yacht once. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Can I share? I actually had a game that I had to play with myself. Sure. I came up with the nobody gets to be mad at me game. Because Ooh. for my whole life, I was always worried that everybody was mad at me all the time. I wouldn't answer my phone because I was like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And it wasn't true, but I didn't know that it wasn't true until I gave myself, literally, I gave myself a, I think it was a week, and then maybe I extended it to three weeks. I literally just said, no, no, no. The rule for the next seven days is not one person gets to be mad at me. If they are mad at me, they can be mad at me next Tuesday. But until next Tuesday, it cannot happen. And it freed me to just sort of do this little mind trick of like, right, I can answer the phone because even if you're mad at me, you don't get to be until next week. And what I found out every time I answered the phone was I was like, they're not mad at me. They were calling Mm -hmm. to say hello. But I had to create a game, which I think is such a, that's such a great way to handle these things is if you, you, you could think of some sort of fun way to play with it, then you, Mm -hmm. you learn something from it. And it makes it lighter, right? Like that just what you're saying just makes it a lighter situation, which I think helps. Yeah. Well, that's why improv is based in games. Yeah. There's a reason it's not improv exercises or improv scenes or assignments. They are games. And once you couch Mm -hmm. it in that, it frees you up. I'm just Mm -hmm. playing a game. Let's talk about the countless times when you guys have been rejected in your lives as performers. It's, it's time to go to dig deep into rejection. Sure. Well, and I have to say, before we start this conversation, sure. I've been listening to Dead Eyes, oh, that oh. podcast. Yes. And it's all about rejection. I love because that. Because you have dead eyes and Tom Hanks yes. doesn't love your dead eyes. So I've been learning a lot about this as I've been listening to this podcast. So I'm really interested to hear uh, in person, like what you guys think, because it has to be so hard to be in the entertainment industry and be so easily passed on for something that you have absolutely no control over. I call it the fire hose of no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a lot. And it, and it definitely, it takes, I read a lot of books with surrender in the title. Uh, <laughs> and I also read a lot of books like The Power of Fun 
right? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, because I have to remind myself that what I do is fun and rejection isn't personal. Even though, look, there's days when you just can't, you know, you're just like, <laughs> why not me? Um, but that's a really good practice for life. You go like, okay, and then I'm going to go and have a good like tantrum or cry or however you process that like overwhelming emotion of it. And then you feel better. And then you're like, well, it still feels fun to finish that screenplay or you get an idea to call someone. And, and really it's like, it's just a, it's like a microcosm kind of of life. I mean, it's a very concentrated <laughs> amount of rejection that we get, but to, to not take it personally is the real practice. And I think mm -hmm. that's true in life as well. To be able to recognize when your relatives are like having a bad day or experiencing anxiety of their own, and it's not about you, you didn't do anything to them, or, you know, or your boss. Like, so what we practice daily is trying to remember this isn't personal. There's a big system going on and we are producing art in and of itself. And hopefully that will fit into the system and we do our best to make it do that. But it's not personal. There's so many factors that are completely out of our control that we're not putting ourselves out there for rejection. It's a piece of work that we have offered. Mm -hmm. And a lot mm -hmm. of it is luck and timing. Mm -hmm. And as long as it remains fun, that's to me, that's what I have to do is keep remembering how it feels fun. Because if I'm going toward fun, I can go every day, all day. Mandy and I are famously very different in how we approach things and handle things and think about things. And I am much more, I think, pragmatic and black and white. And Mandy wants to find Mandy's more comfortable searching in the gray and trying to find meaning, whereas I'm like a robot. Hey, that oh. just didn't go my way. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so no, no, no. I it's true. I I I don't um search for meaning, which helps me. It's probably a protective tool I have. But picture it, 1998. Uh Michael J. Fox and I are in a room studio testing for a role on Spin City and the chemistry's off the charts, everybody. He's hilarious. I'm hilarious. Everybody, it's a love fest. I float out of that building knowing my life is about to change. And when I got the call that they went with the other girl, uh, I was devastated and I was crying. And my friend said to me, it's obvious why you didn't get it. His marriage would be over because he would have to leave his wife for you because he just, it was, and you're, you don't want to break up a marriage. And <laughs> the chemistry was too good. It was too good, Mandy. Too good. Right? You're not a homewrecker. So, That's something I love I'm about you. I'm not a homewrecker. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a good reason why I didn't get that part. And then I tried to look at it long term. Well, right around that time is when my voiceover career was getting really busy and active. And now I have this life I love doing voiceover. It happens the way it's supposed to happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. And even in that moment, I will cry my eyes out. I will eat a lot of Ben and Jerry's and a lot of cheese. And generally, I watch fried green tomatoes for a couple weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. But then I just realized this wasn't it. Yeah. This wasn't what it, this wasn't, it wasn't supposed to go this way. So it didn't go this way. I can't see it yet. But in a year, I'll look back and see exactly why it went that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually you, it, it, it can make you feel like there's a lot of things that 
you you forget to look at the things that are going well when one rejection comes in. But I had a friend right. give me some great advice and she was like, well, what's the gift in this? You know, mm-hmm. I had a, a rejection of a big job that I wanted. And she, you know, she was like, but what, what could be the gift? And I was like, well, the gift is I don't have to miss my daughter's dance recital. I get to spend more time. I get to go on that family vacation. I get to, you know, do this other project that I really did want to do. So it, there's seeing the gift in it is, is, mm-hmm. was a, thing that I don't, that's not my go-to because you're feeling sad, but it's a lovely way to go, oh, that's right. There's, there's, that's my, the, the sadness, the rejection is one piece of this, but there's a whole other, many, many other pieces to it. How do you characterize the difference though, between your perspective on it now, all as a gift versus how you would have looked at that when you were 23? I don't change because I don't grow and I, I don't seek. Right. So I, I'm the same as I was when I was 23. I don't seek. I don't. So <laughs> What a weird badge of honor you carry around there. <laughs> but I, yes, and I would say it's, it's about just feeling your feelings. It's okay to cry and feel your disappointment and your regret and your sadness and your self-pity, throw your pity party. It's okay. I think, you know, people can get stuck in, well, what's wrong with me? And why do I feel this way? And why does this hurt so much? Because it does. It's okay to hurt. You will move on from it. And you, you know, so that's, I had that perspective at 23 and I have it now, but I get, I feel all those heartaches. I feel them. It's that whole, this too shall pass. Like just remembering that that it will pass. It will get, it will get better. You know, a real life situation uh, that's not around art and theater. My daughter lashed out at me and my husband yesterday and boy, were we bad parents. (laughs) I mean, you would think that we were the worst parents in the world so unsupportive, you know, all of these things. And, uh, and I, and she's 17 and I texted, and this is all through text because, you know, that's how you communicate as a family. Oh my. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, but I, I texted my husband and I said, you know what? She's not mad at us. We're taking it. We're getting it, but this is not about us. And, uh, I said, just let her go. Like, let's not respond. And sure enough, later that night she came in and she apologized and she said, I'm really sorry. I know I was, you know, being a butt and, uh, and this is what's bothering me. And, uh, but it was interesting to not take it personally because you can so easily go to, I am the worst parent because I missed this or whatever. Right. Um, that's like resting parent face for me is like, I'm the worst. I have just broken my child. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. And and yeah. I didn't have a great day yesterday. And so what I decided to do was listen to your guys' podcast while I was doing a puzzle. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> because it was entertaining. Loved listening to you. And it was me doing something that was soothing my soul so that I yeah. wouldn't be like so hung up in this like, oh, I'm a terrible parent. Um, so it is, I think, you know, actually saying that out loud, I was soothing myself. Like I figured Mm -hmm. out how to make this okay. And I gave up work. Like I decided not to work because there wasn't anything that I could really give yesterday that was going to, you know, help. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah. uh, stop. That's yeah. actually really beautiful parenting, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, so much of that, I think, is it for for me is, and I think you you both uh, like everybody here sort of manifests what I I think I'm observing, which is like where where I was when I was 23 and getting out of college was trying to figure out how I'm going to make something of myself in this business, right? Yes. And and uh, and I felt like I had to get into a system um, and and put myself out there and for judgment with complete absence of control, right? That they were going to like me or hate me. I was going to do good work and they were going to judge it. And then I was going to either be successful or I was going to end up in a ditch. Like those were the two. It was very binary. And at some point as I aged, I I think I realized that I have control, like I have agency in what I'm in what I'm doing. Just like Nikki, yesterday you say you 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 took control and backed off, right, and went and did the puzzle. And um, I I, I knew that I could try to sell a podcast to Spotify or Wondery or whatever, but I could also start my own business and make the stuff that I want to make uh, and have control and authority and agency. And you guys make your own stuff now. And I'm wondering how much that sense of like, I'm so tired of rejection and my ideas are good feeds into your desire to create your own material. Well, Mandy beautifully said, as long as it, as you're enjoying it, as long as it's making you happy. And that's why you create your own work. If you are creating it simply to make money or become famous, that's, you're missing the boat. Mm -hmm. You have to create the work because you love doing the work. So if you absolutely hate parties, don't go to a party. But if you Mm -hmm. often have a really good time at the party, then go on your own terms and make it fun for yourself as long as you're not hurting anybody else, you know? So I think that the the business has changed in a beautiful way, as tough as it's getting to become an actor or a writer or any of these things, because, you know, networks are producing less and it's only for the chosen few, but we can create it and put it up and get it out there in the world. And Mm -hmm. if you're doing it because you love it, not to make you famous, pressure's mm-hmm. off and you've already talk, succeeded talk about the ultimate yes and right like when i was 23 i was exactly the same way i was like must be jennifer aniston or die you know mm-hmm. i think sure. i only dropped it maybe a couple of years ago um that, that idea that there's there's it's there's it's this or it's this and the yes and helps you go wait a second there have to be more than two choices here and that's what yes. you found right you gave yourself with a little bit of time and space, you're like, well, I can either keep beating my head because it hasn't been one of these two options, or I can op- open myself to the possibility that there's infinite other options here. And I just have to be open to it. And, you know, the, I never thought, I mean, I was so ambitious. I was like, oh my God, if I don't make a, you know, if I'm not Jennifer Aniston or make a blockbuster film, I will die. It's like, well, guess mm-hmm. what? No, I won't. I'll make some good content that I'm really proud of. And it's that in between that I have to keep reminding myself that there's there's so many other options. Life is going to live you how it's going to live you. And you can either appreciate the 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 variety of it and go with it or get stuck on what it's not. And that's where a yes and comes in too. Mm. 
life is going to live you. Mm-hmm. It is. That is that a thing? I've never heard that. I've never it's heard that either, but I trademark. think it's made a thing. Trademark. Yeah. Man Fabian, Man Cave. Yeah, was trademark. Amazing. My book is coming out. <laughs> Simon and Schuster, 1095. <laughs> <laughs> what a bargain. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I've got to... Yeah, I've got to give uh, Fabian uh, some some Pete life points here. I because in the in the spirit of just sort of remembering that the benefits of like laughter uh, beyond introspection uh, are really important. Like it's a social skill. We get it on top of like helping us not take things too seriously in the world when things are hard, at which ADHD folks are prone to, prone to do. Right? Like the laughter fosters empathy and understanding. Like we know all of these things that that sort of feed our soul. But uh, the in the spirit of resilience. Uh, being able to laugh at challenges and setbacks and grief is is I think it just gives us the strength to to get through to the other side of them. And in the spirit of Doctor Heal Thyself, I I you know we've talked before on the show about my dad passing away, and it was like a week after he'd passed away, and I was in Colorado Springs sitting in the car at the funeral home, uh, going in to pick up his ashes, and Fabian calls me. And we're just talking and, and you know, sharing some personal stories. And I start saying, like, I telling the experience of my dad passing when the doctor comes in to my mom and says, uh, and my mom asks him, are you telling me that my husband is dying? And the doctor says with a complete straight face, I'm not telling you he's not dying. <laughs> <laughs> and... I said that with all seriousness, like that was the story. And I didn't get it because I was sitting in grief that that is damn funny and seriously funny. And Mandy starts laughing hysterically on the phone, <laughs> in the speakerphone, in the car with me. And I suddenly got it. This is absurdist humor. This is like right. straight up 1980s British satire and it happened in real life and that is a that is a huge gift right mm -hmm. to be able to to laugh through something that was funny in a time of great grief and so i just that is something that i carry with me and i will forever i guarantee it like being able to laugh at that time was huge and uh and and so i'm curious like how like how you guys see those sorts of experiences in your own lives do you how do you use uh, your own gifts of comedy in the spirit of resilience. Oh, it's the bridge between us. I mean, really? Because we're both, <laughs> well, you know, we're different people. Mm -hmm. and But we really meet in the middle. Like, we can always make each other laugh. And really, comedy is a value that we both hold. <laughs> and and so, I, I mean, I, you know, we were laughing at at my mom's deathbed. Like, cracking up laughing in a way that I'm sure everyone in the hospital thought was wildly inappropriate. Wildly not, you know, not consistently. Yeah. We also obviously were in grief, but it, we knew this is our family's coping mechanism, that this is what we do. We make each other laugh. We try to find the fun. My mom's motto was the trick is to make the laughter outweigh the tears. Um, mm. And that's, you, you know, so as a coping mechanism, that is something that I was raised with. Like, it was hard. We had hard times. We had no money. The family was falling apart. There was, it was rough out there, but we laughed all the time. And so that has been a boat that's carried me through everything. It's the thing that has kept me afloat 
you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, hey, how about that for an analogy, man? I'm on a boat, a comedy boat. <laughs> and you're <laughs> floating. And I'm floating. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's everything. I feel like me. I'm on the dinghy on the side. <laughs> Dragged <laughs> along behind it. Come on, wait. No, <laughs> no, you're in the back paddling for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> but can I, this is such a strange story to share. And I don't even know if Fabian remembers it or thinks about it, but I do sometimes after her mom died and, um, she was deep, deep in grief and at her house cleaning out her mom's stuff. It's like the worst time of your life. And uh, I decided to go for a, a big swing and I got an inappropriate gift and I arrived at the house and this is one of the only times Mandy has not laughed at my humor. I thought I was, I thought it was going to be just the funniest thing she's ever seen and cure her grief. And she just looked at me sobbing and didn't understand the joke and was just so deeply sad. And I felt like a complete turd and I put the gift in my car and then I went in and, and you know, and, and entered the grief zone with her. And I think about that sometimes, like, what was I thinking? How could I try to make her laugh in that moment? And I comfort myself with the idea, I'm going to cry. Like, I was obsessed with trying to help her in, in any way I could. And at least she knew that. Now, maybe I did it in a very inappropriate way. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even remember. What was the gift? I don't even remember. <laughs> this is so crazy. That's like was it a new photo? Was it a new? It was not of, dirty of in any way. Skin rug. Okay, you say bear. <laughs> she, Mandy, was always frustrated with her husband for buying her girls these giant teddy bears, and she was oh. always trying to pawn them off on people. And you know, you want a giant teddy bear, and she kept moving them out of the house, and they kept coming back in the house. So I borrowed one of the giant, giantest ones from a friend, and I came over with it. Like I got you this, <laughs> and she was. She did not think it was funny. <laughs> But at least, That's at funny. least maybe later that night she could say, wow, you know, Mandy was thinking of me and tr- Mandy's trying to be there for me. It, it, you know, so taking what was a horrifying moment in my life and in hers <laughs> and trying to sp- just look back on oh it gosh. as a positive. Talk mm-hmm. about yes, ending mm-hmm. the grief, Mandy. Mm-hmm. That's really chef's kiss. <laughs> I love it. I don't even, and I don't even remember it, right? Isn't that? You oh were, my goodness. You were so grief stricken. And I was like, <laughs> it's hilarious now. Oh my God. But how great is that? Like, that's yeah. even another example of where you go. And that's what I love about our podcast, actually. I tell people this all the time. It's like, you know, we don't agree on a lot of things, right? We, we're constantly like, how could you not think that's funny that you're a monster? Or how could you like that? What, how do you have a brain in your head? Like, we don't, you know, we're like, oh my God, all the time with each other. And yet mm-hmm. we're still dear friends and love each other deeply. Yeah. And there's, there's room in life for it doesn't have to fit into all the boxes and be perfect all the time or feel perfect. There's room in a friendship for someone to bring you a giant teddy bear at totally the wrong time. Oh, and the, here the you worst are. time. Yeah. And four <laughs> years later, laugh hysterically about it on a podcast. That's what I love about it. Right. right. <laughs> when I right. borrowed it from a friend, she's like, why do you need this? <laughs> <laughs> oh my That's God. My, my friend's mom just died. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great idea. <laughs> oh God, that's hilarious. So oh man. I'm a professional. 
professional comedian. This is going to be awesome. Trust I me. love it. I can totally read the room. <laughs> oh, I love, oh, I love God. a big swing. It was on love brand. A big swing. I love a big swing. <laughs> oh, you guys, that's very funny. I, oh, I don't know that I have anything that can, that can top that. I do. I am curious though. Like we, we started this conversation about yes. And, and how it, and it's pretty tropey and it's kind of become its own trope. Uh, in the scope of improvisational comedy, are there any other similar tropey tools that you think deserve more airtime? Hmm. I do have a favorite, and I can kick us off if you're if you're stymied at the question. Please, I'm still crying. I know. I, I notice you're in a state of your own trauma, uh, <laughs> comedy induced trauma. Um, uh, it's for me. It's hat on a hat, like putting oh, a hat on a I hat. I love That's, that. I use that all the time, and. Few people understand what the hell I'm talking about when I do it. The idea of this thing was funny already, and now you're putting another funny thing on top of it too close, and it's going to render it not funny. So mm -hmm. don't ever put a hat on a hat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that ring any bells for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love that one. I also like the, I call it the long con. Like, mm. I uh, I love a, like the patience that it takes for things. What up? Like, I love long, like, so David Letterman, I thought this is going to date me, but I think he was hosting the Oscars and he was like, Uma, Oprah, Oprah, Uma, <laughs> Uma, Oprah. And he just kept hammering it. And I'm pretty sure that 95% of the nation was going, get on with it, David. My God, you're hosting the yeah. Oscars. And I was dying laughing because I'm like, oh my God, he's not going to drop it. That's brilliant. Like, I, uh, I, I. I once taught my nieces a, a, a funny character. Like I, I taught them a funny language, ubby dubby from Zoom. And then I created a character with a, quite honestly, like a curse word uh, in that language, hoping that one day, years and years and years, they would learn ubby dubby and understand that the character I've been doing is actually a curse word. And it would all come together sometime in their 20s. And I started this when they were like five. And it was like... <laughs> It was finally when they got in their 20s, I was like, oh, my God, none of you have taken the time to learn Ubby Debbie. And I am very upset about it. Like a, the law, I call it the long con. Like you lay that groundwork and you're just patient and you wait, you bring it back right at the right time, which kind of was the bear. Actually, it was a long con. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> right. You yeah, know, yeah. You laugh. The punchline was today. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think back to. uh it's about letting go of the control. I think back to a time when I was in an improv show and uh, I I had this idea that I thought was great and I was running it through my head waiting for the right time, right? I'm going to jump in the scene and I'm going to use this idea and I jumped in and I pushed it and it crickets, got no reaction. The other actors were like, yes, and like they didn't want to play. They No one thought this was a good idea, but because I had made it, absolute in my head. I saw it succeeding. I kept pushing it. And luckily this was on TV, so it's out there for everyone to see. But it was, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's embarrassing watching me like die a slow death on the stage, knowing no one's going for it. So I'm going to do it even more. <laughs> it's about letting go of control and just saying, okay, didn't go as planned. I'm going to yeah. take another turn and try a different thing right away. Letting it go. Let go of the control. Nothing is ever going to go as you practiced it, planned it, rehearsed it. It's just never, life doesn't work that way. Right. The, you know, being a performer doesn't work that way. Just accept the now, which is 
oh, no one's laughing? And shove that bear back in your car fast. (laughs) (laughs) And... Just oh, and this, make some no, it's just my carpool buddy. Oh <laughs> yeah. my so God. I can drive in the HOV lane. <laughs> it's not a terrible, terribly misguided joke on the eve of your mother's death. Oh my God. Hey, Still I do funny. have another I have another tip that I don't know. This could sure. be a metaphor for life as well, but it always happens to me before comedy shows. Always leave time to poop before the show. Because <laughs> for whatever reason. Five minutes before the show, it it's going to happen. Like it is an ex, it is uh, everybody leaves the building and you got, you know, and, and not every time, but I'm just saying you need to be prepared for that maybe happening. So that's a metaphor for life. Always yeah. Before the show. Always leave time. I'm going to put that, always going to put that on a shirt is what I'm going to do. <laughs> you even guys, before a podcast. Even like before, it doesn't have to be a podcast show. It can just no, it doesn't even, it has to be anything. Room to poop before you go on a podcast. I'm so glad that we we brought this all back around to some sort of gastrointestinal tag. Of course. Uh, You guys are the best. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out and teaching us some things. Uh, Your worldview is wonderful and funny. And uh, tell tell them uh, who wants dibs on talking about the podcast. Oh, uh, well, guys. I, it is one of my favorite things in the world. Our podcast is The Mand Cave, as we said, hosted by two Mandys with nothing in common except their first name, as you've heard on this podcast. Uh, we talk about movies and books and argue and have fun and just it's really a good time. So please do come check us out on The Mand Cave. And how do you guys know each other? Oh, well, the voiceover world back in New York City. Yeah, it, people were saying, "Oh, wait, you're not Mandy." Her her maiden name is Stuckerberg. Oh, you're a different Mandy. Oh, you know, and it was like, "Well, who is this other Mandy?" Yeah, I must know her. Mm-hmm. And we met, and it was pretty much instant love. I can still picture our first sushi lunch, where we were and what we had. It was That's great. Awesome. It was. It was. Yeah, it was really great. Yeah. But then, like, but then she moved to Los Angeles and left me in New York there, and I followed her out, and that is when it really kicked into high gear. <laughs> Yeah. I said, I yeah, said restraining some... order be damned. She followed. Yeah. <laughs> Just... No, because yeah. I like it was interesting. She really like it was she, in a classic Kaplan way. We sat down and about five minutes into that lunch, she was like, so what's going on? Or, you know, what's going on in your personal life? How are you? you she wanted your soul to solve... seems sad. I wanted to get into it. <laughs> yeah. With your like, big bear in the car. Just oh waiting. My God. <laughs> she was asking all sorts of direct inappropriate questions for my Protestant. We don't talk about things like that in my family. And it was amazing. That is really when the bridge, the bridge was formed and we've been partners ever since. Oh, that's great. Well, and, and, uh, you, we talked about the man cave and I will put links into that. And I, I tagged both of your upcoming, uh, both of your movies right now, Jess plus none upcoming 30 nights is amazing and is already out and go see it. And, um, yeah, anything else immediately that you want to plug before we sign off? Well, my cabaret miscast, Right Singer, Wrong Song, which I do every three months in Los Angeles in North Hollywood, is coming up on Sunday, May 7th. Tickets are on Eventbrite, and Mandy Fabian is performing in it, as am I. Uh, and it's always a ton of fun. It's all for charity for a wonderful organization called Project Angel Food. And miscast was born when I was suffering from postpartum and I needed to find a way to cope with, well, now I can't sing and dance anymore because I have this kid, you know? And so that is my ultimate plan B. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I found a way to do musical theater on my terms in a way that I love that makes people laugh and raises money for charity. Perfect. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> well done, you guys. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you for having us. This is great. Uh, oh, such a fun conversation. Uh, uh, so uh, thank you. Uh, everybody for hanging out with us and downloading and listening to the show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention. Don't forget, if you have something to contribute to the conversation, we're going to head over to the Show Talk channel in our Discord server, and you can join us right there by becoming a supporting member at the deluxe level. On behalf of Mandy Kaplan and Mandy Fabian and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. Mm-hmm.